The author writes, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. When he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect upon your word, we pray, Lord, that the meditation of my mouth and my mind and the words of my mouth will be pleasing unto you. We pray, Lord, that you will move mightily amongst us. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. You ever wonder what it was like for Mary and the disciples to get to the tomb and see just the linen and, 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 and the headset and just kind of laying there and no body? Uh, I thought it would be a good idea when uh, I was a youth pastor. Uh, Laura and I were probably only been married maybe a year and a half. And I thought, you know what, at the church there had been a lot of this talk about when the Lord comes back and, and people going up into heaven and what that would be like. And so I thought it would be a good idea one day to make Laura think that the Lord had come back and got me. Okay? So you remember this. So we were in Kings Mountain and we're sitting there having a conversation and she goes to the back and I thought, here's my chance. So I stripped down all my clothes into my undergarments, okay? And I laid them out nice and neat like they were on, because I'd been laying on the couch kind of like this. 
And so I laid them out on the couch just like I had been laying, okay? And so I went and hid in a closet. And I could hear her in the back, Matt, Matt, Matt. And then when it gets serious, she says, Matthew, Matthew. And she comes walking in, and lo and behold, there are my clothes, and I am, I'm not there. And it was one of the most memorable moments for me when she slapped me across the face when she saw me. I'm just kidding. She did it. I'm just kidding. You know, but she was shocked, but she, she knows how I am. So obviously, as soon as she saw those clothes, she said, Matt, I know you're in the closet. Get out of there. It didn't even work. It didn't even work. Okay. Um, she knew I was a jokester. When we read the scriptures, okay, Mary knew something was different. There was, no, there was not a joke going on. It was serious. Something had happened. At first she thought somebody had stolen the body. But then as Jesus speaks to her, she turns around and she realizes that Jesus had conquered death. He had resurrected. You know, scientists just this week have been trying to do what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Uh, they have been trying to bring back cells that of, a, of a living thing that had died. So just recently, I read this um, on, on, on the news. It said, this was actually on Thursday, an article titled, Scientist Revive Cellular Activity in the Brain of Dead Pigs. Well, it obviously caught my attention. thought, here we are, Passion Week, and scientists still trying to do what Christ had ultimately done. It said, according to this article, a team of Yale scientists managed to revive cellular activity in the brains of dead pigs that had been slaughtered hours before, challenging previous assumptions that brain cells irreversibly die off once the blood flow stops. What I love about this article, one, obviously they're trying to do what God himself has done, but now science is even starting to show, hey, wait a minute, could it be possible that God could have actually come back to life? I mean, if scientists are beginning to prove that they can bring back cells that they thought were irreversible back to life and revive them, surely the God of all creation can conquer death, right? And we're seeing that happening. With all that said, I want to talk to you about what actually caused Christ to die before he came back to life. We put a lot of emphasis on this, and it's the cross, right? And have you noticed that just about anywhere you go, there is a cross somewhere? Have y'all noticed that? Okay. Um, so, for example, I was riding, I was riding, I think it was with either, it was either Hannah or Natalie. It may have been Natalie, but we were talking about all the crosses that we see as we're driving down the road, okay? And I'm not just talking about the cross on a steeple. Yes, we see those, right? But what about like when you're driving and you know how you see the power lines and sometimes the power lines, you see the cross in that? 
I mean, is it not interesting that you're driving, you're thinking, man, man, that looks like a cross. Or you're driving and there's a cloud that's in the shape of a cross. Or you drive down the road and you look over on a church and there is a cross on the steeple. Or you go to the graveyard and you're, you're mourning the death of your mother or your father of a loved one. And there in the, in the cemetery are crosses. And then if you go to Jerusalem, okay, and you get to go to the garden tomb, there's an actual tree that's shaped like a cross. And then probably my favorite growing up was the dogwood tree. So many of you are probably familiar with that. But its flowers produce a cross with red spots on it. And I remember as a kid, Sunday school teachers teaching me that this cross, this flower, represented Christ who died. And the red spots on the flower were represented the wounds that he endured for us. I mean, anywhere you go, folks, there is a cross somewhere. Natalie came into the house the other day showing me a four-leaf clover. What do you think that looks like? A cross. And you begin to start thinking about all this, and you're like, why are there so many crosses? It's almost like God is trying to get our attention. Have you ever thought about that? That God is trying to get our attention. But if God is trying to get our attention, the question we have to ask is why? Why is God trying to get our attention? And what is it that God's wanting to communicate to us? I mean, God's not just putting out signs for no random reason. Okay? He is putting out these signs hoping that we will see them so he can reveal his message to us, right? But if you're like me, I want to know what that message is. I want to know what it is that God's wanting to tell me as I see the crosses as I drive down the road. Here are a couple of things that I think God is trying to communicate to us. Number one... The cross was not originally seen as a place of victory. And I'm gonna, I'll break these down more in just a second. Number two, I think that God's wanting us to see that the cross is not a place where we can get whatever we want from God. And then third, I would say that God is trying to teach us that the cross is not what saves us. You need to hear that last one. And I'm going to just leave those up there for a moment because I want to unpack all of these. Because I think they're, they're, they're an important message that God is trying to help us to understand. So this first one, the cross was not originally seen as a place of victory, right? So on Friday, Good Friday, we have annually, we have what's known as the procession of the cross. And we carry a cross from the sanctuary into different rooms in the church, out into the youth building, up to the kids' center, and ultimately up onto the hill where the three crosses are up there. And we carry it around, and we carry it with a sense of victory. That Christ has conquered the cross, so to speak, right? He's conquered death. But ultimately, in the, when, when this actually happened, when Christ actually died on the cross, originally, that was not a place of victory. 
on the first, on the first couple days. Okay? It was not a place of victory. So, for example, many of the eyewitnesses that were there, let's be honest, some of his followers saw the cross and saw Jesus on the cross, and they thought to themselves, oh no, it's over. Jesus has died. He must not be the Messiah. Jesus' mother wept thinking that her son had died. It was not a place of woohoo! At the cross, at the cross, where our first, I mean, it was not any of that. It was not a re time of rejoicing, it was a time of sadness. In fact, it was not only a time of sadness, it was a time of fear. When the disciples saw the cross and Jesus hanging on it, they ran and hid, most of them. The cross was also a place of sadness because it was on the cross where Jesus felt abandoned or forsaken by God the Father. It was a depressing place, folks. It was a heavy place. And the reason why it was so heavy is because it represented the sin of the world, even though the people at that time did not know that. But it was a heavy, depressing place where Christ was. Secondly, the cross is not a place where we can get what we want from God. So again, whenever we see the cross, we always see it as victory. Then we look at the cross and we think to ourselves, oh, well, this means God's forgiven me of all my sin. That means I can do whatever I want, <laughs> right? So some people see the cross as forgiveness, and therefore they continue to live ungodly lives thinking that because Christ died on the cross, they can live as they choose. Folks, this is an important point here for me to make to you. While the cross does represent forgiveness, it also represents something much deeper. And hear me in this, okay? Christ is not only, when he was on the cross, was not only offering us forgiveness. He was also offering us holiness. Do you hear me? That he's not just saying, hey, I want to wipe away your sin. He's also saying, hey, I want to wash away your sin so you can be in a right relationship with God. And so that God can draw you closer and closer to Him, so that He can make you holy, so that He can make you more like Him. And one of the things I hear people say all the time, okay, and I, I just read, uh, I read something just recently about this, where you hear people say, I'm not in for religion, I, I'm about relationship. And you know what, that's fine, okay? If, if that's what you believe, that it's not about religion, it's about relationship, that's fine. But at least back up what you're saying with your life. Do you hear me? If you really believe that it's more about relationship than it is religion, then back it up. Have a relationship with God. Be in church on a regular occasion. 
Do your devotions on a regular occasion. Pray regularly. Give to the Lord regularly. Spend time in His presence. Worship Him. If you believe it's not about religion and it's about relationship, Christ would say, hey, I agree with you. I died on the cross so I could have a relationship with you. And, and I believe with all my heart God is saying, if you really believe it's about relationship, then let's have one. Let's have one. Which brings me to the last point. The cross is not what saves us. Norman Wilson wrote, It isn't, of course, the blood-soaked wood of the cross that saves us, but the Savior who died there. It's the Savior who died there. One of the things I love about our stained glass is the cross and the world but folks, we must not forget that the cross was the tool that was used to kill our Savior. It is not the tool that saves us. It is Christ and Christ's blood that was shed that saves us. So what is the main message that God's trying to get to us when we drive around and we see all of these crosses? Sure, he's wanting to teach us all of those things, but I think the main thing that he is wanting us to understand is that he is wanting to remind us that the cross represents a Savior who died for our sins. So while Christ is not on that cross, it does represent the fact that Christ was on that cross. And can I tell you something? I'm thankful that Christ is not on that cross. Because if he's still on it, that means he never got off of it and he's not living. Do you hear me? But the fact that he's off of it and that the tomb was empty tells me he conquered the cross, conquered death. And he's also conquered our sin if we'll let him. So recently, I'm sure you saw this in the news, but there was a major fire at the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. Some of you have seen this, and you've seen pictures, and you probably noticed one thing that the fire could not destroy. Y'all see it? Is that not amazing? It's the cross. And it's almost as if God is saying to us again, hey, the world can try to destroy the message of the cross, but God, even in the midst of a horrible time, Okay, and, 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 and ruining some great, great architecture, art, all of that. And ruining that, it's almost as if God says the cross still stands. And the cross still stands because it represents a Savior who died there and conquered it and is alive. So, when you go to the graveyard and you're struggling over the loss of your loved one, and you look around, and you see a cross, perhaps God's saying to you, hey, you know what? Your Savior's still alive. Or when you're driving down the road, and your heart's broken because you got some bad news, and you look up and you just happen to see a power line that looks like a cross, this is almost as if God's saying, hey, you're not alone in what you're going through. See, Scripture teaches that as Christians, 
We are more than conquerors. In other words, we are victorious. Okay? And that's why we look at the cross with all the despair around it and the cross still stands. It is proclaiming that Christ is victorious. And I know many of us are broken and we're wondering, at times we wonder, God, why have I not felt you in the midst of what I'm going through? Or, or Lord, I've been praying for this person for years. Why have they not come to you? And folks, can I tell you, don't give up on Christ. Keep praying. Keep depending upon him because Christ is victorious. He will help you overcome all the depression and all the despair and every hurt that you've ever encountered. Christ will help you. I'm going to ask Pastor Thomas to come up. This morning, I just want to have an altar call for every one of us in here. Because all of us have been broken at some point. Some of us may be broken at this point. And if we're neither one of those, we will be broken at another point down the road, right? And in those moments, it is so easy to turn away from God. In fact, last week we sang a hymn that talked about how our heart was prone to wander and how we are prone to leave the God we love because we get focused on all the trash that's around us instead of focusing on Christ who's overcome and conquered all of that and so what I want to do is invite you to come to the altar and pray to the victorious living God and say to him, thank you for being victorious. And admit to him that there are, there are things in your life where you have not overcome yet. You're human. And pray and say, God, in the midst of my humanness, I'm being defeated in this area of my life. Lord, help me to be victorious in that area of my life. Others of you may have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so some of this may be foreign to you. But I challenge you to just accept Christ and let him give you the peace that you've been searching for. In the midst of all the turmoil and hurt that you're going through, there is a God who's victorious, church. And that's what I love about the message of the cross and the empty tomb. Where Mary goes to the tomb, saddened, and she walks away rejoicing, saying, Rabbi, she goes saddened, but she walks away rejoicing and telling people. Folks, may we come to the altar and let that transformation happen to us where we say, Lord, I'm laying it down at your feet and I'm leaving from here rejoicing, knowing that I'm not carrying that any longer. Stand with me as we close in prayer. As I pray, I'm going to close in prayer, and then Thomas is going to continue to play. And I'll invite you to come down. And we just want to have some time for you to pray and speak to God. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as we call out to you and we seek your face, Lord, may we leave victorious knowing 
that you are victorious because you have conquered the grave. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Come and speak with the Father.